When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Screams from the Grave. We are your hosts from Rod Star Review, Greg Noggle and Lou Mavs. Coming at you live, but better than Tesla. How you doing, Greg? Very good. How about you? Good. And I said the first live of the show. We're not live. This was pre-recorded, <laughs> but who cares? Greg and I hey, are- Hey, if it a- works for Kiss, it's fine for us. <laughs> okay, we're going deep 70s live albums. Good enough for me. <laughs> um so Greg and I are on a mission to bring back Screams from the Grave. You know, we had a couple of episodes earlier this year, including Cuddy Sark and Mama's Boys. This episode, we're actually going to go more of a group who was very, very popular on an international basis in the 1980s. But in the 70s, they were just building, I guess, what was to come. In the next decade, from Germany, we have the classic Scorpions album, In Trance. And I swear to God, does that woman not look like Debbie Harry on the front cover? <laughs> she does. She looks exactly like Debbie Harry. And another thing I find funny about this is uh, Uli Roth has always, oh, those, those were the... Uh, those covers for all three of those albums were the record company's idea, and we had nothing to do with them. That is clearly his guitar that woman is bending over. Oh, absolutely. That's the cream-colored uh, <laughs> Maple Neck Strat. And, uh, yeah, Uli, I think you're lying. I think you had something to do with it. Don't, don't, you know, don't shame yourself. It is what it is. It was the 70s. Yeah, and then on on top of her looking like Debbie Harry, she also looks a bit like Monica Daneman who Uli was dating at the time, Jimi Hendrix's last girlfriend. Yes, yes, yes. A very long-lasting relationship that he had with Monica before she passed away. Yeah. Honestly, right down to the top she's wearing on the cover, it looks like something Monica would wear. Because I'm a big Uli Roth fan and Hendrix too, so I've seen a ton of pictures of her. I actually never seen a picture of her, so I'll have to Google that. This is, of course, the Scorpions' third album, their second with Uli John Roth or Ulrich Roth, I guess, however you remember him, but to us, he's Uli John Roth. Two points I'm going to make about this album. Number one, Uli John Roth was my favorite guitarist in the Scorpions. And number two, this is my all-time favorite Scorpions album. Me as well, on both counts. Very Uli nice. Roth's my favorite guitarist, and this is my favorite album of theirs. And also, 
arguably the album where scorpions really become scorpions right down to the fact that it's the first time that logo was used and production by peter dirks yeah is this the first one he did or did he do uh fly to the rainbow as he well? did not do fly to the rainbow that you are correct this is his first okay and that is by no means a knock on matthias jobs who's been the scorpions league guitarist since the 80s he's a phenomenal guitarist and definitely not a knock on michael schenker who you know he's one of my all-time favorites but you know he he even though he formed and played on the first scorpions album lonesome crow and love drive he's more known for his stuff with ufo let's face facts and mm -hmm. you know big credit to rudolph schenker as a songwriter but uli was just you know i mean this guy i if there's one thing i had to say about uli it's that when a lot of guitarists in the 1980s were borrowing heavily from like that european style mm -hmm. you know there's two guitar players that come to mind richie blackmore who was famous on an international level thanks to deep purple and uli john roth who you could tell was probably more famous on a european level but my god like everything he did people completely took from you know including his usage of a fender strat with three single coils as a as opposed to playing like a Gibson SG or a Flying V or a Les Paul that's got humbuckers. You know, um, his use of the, the vibrato, his use of classical music, his usage of Hendrix type, you know, uh, sonic, uh, the sounds that he would do, yeah. you know, the ex exploiting feedback as a tool as opposed to a hindrance, you know, I mean, and on top of that, just killer songwriting. My God, like, you know, and, and, and I discovered in trance by accident because it was on the live bites album that came out in 95 and it was the one pre love drive song that happened to be on it. And I heard it. And I'm like, my God, I never heard this song before. So I actually went out and tried to find the album, which thankfully I did because RCA did release them on CD. So when I found it, this was the Scorpions album that I repeatedly played more then there are popular albums, Love Drive, Animal Magnetism, Blackout, and Love of First Sting. Um, hands down to this day, um, there's a rawness to it. There's um, just, I think, some of their best songwriting. Like, this was Scorpions on the mission to say, we're the band, you know? Like, they yeah. were hungry on this album, in my opinion. And it's so expressive and emotional too. Like that uh, that article I sent you, where Uli John Roth was talking about uh, tone earlier. God, it's just amazing on this. There's so many highs and lows that you just you feel it. I mean, you really do. Might might make you feel a little melancholy, or it'll lift your soul up, or you're ready to rock with it, like on Dark Lady, you know. And that when I first heard Dark Lady, I was like. This is not Scorpions I'm used to, you know, like, you know, with the uh, odd with the oddly placed innuendos that they would have in their lyrics in the 80s. And then all of a sudden it comes like this, this screeching guitar. It just blasts you in the face the way Dark Lady did. And I was like, OK, the, that that's a song like Detroit Rock City. I think I had that on repeat for about three weeks before I moved on to the rest of the album. <laughs> I can understand why it's that good. I mean, me, 
me personally, I had Tokyo tapes first. Um, a neighbor of mine gave me a bunch of his old cassettes and it was like, you know, blackout, love drive, animal magnetism. And the only thing from the 70, well, okay. Love drive was 79, whatever. But the only thing from the Roth era was, a uh, Tokyo tapes and top of the bill just blew me away that that chunky, almost funky guitar riff he plays, and then Klaus's vocals, and I was like, okay, it says it's from the In Trance album. I have to go find this. Mm. And luckily, cassettes were kind of on the way out at the time, so I was able to get all three albums at once, but this was my favorite from the start. I mean, Dark Lady, just the way it wails out of there, and Entrance is so great, and it just all of side one flows together so well but um it may be the most basic song on the record but robot man is the one that really thrilled me that i used to play on repeat all the time when you're listening to it as a kid it's fun you know like yes it, it's like the kid friendly hard rock song but i still like it i'm not gonna lie guilty pleasure all you want i don't care i'm not i i, I don't plead guilty to liking anything that might be embarrassing i like it so yeah i also have kind of a funny memory attached to it so i'd listen to these scorpions records constantly and there was just a point in time where me and my buddy craig would be sitting around you know a couple different days just in the afternoon smoking the bong and it ended up being called we started calling it the bong song because we noticed Every time we were doing it, Robot Man was playing. Well, that's quite fitting, and I can see how that could be a positive memory. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of funny because the, the way they're singing about the lyrics and then how you can get if you're super high like them. Like, this actually fits almost too well. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um I have to admit, the, the album I didn't, the song on this album I didn't expect to capture me the way that it did, but it's probably one of my favorites. Um, I don't know if I'm hard pressed to say that it is my favorites. I mean, I, I love every song on this, but there was just something about the emotion behind the song evening wind. When I heard it, it just, it completely captured me. Like, I mean, I, I was just fixated and to hear Klaus Mina hit these wailing notes out of nowhere. It's like, you know, Ralph Vieira made a point. He said, when the day Klaus Meina passes away, he will only then be referred to as one of the greatest voices in hard rock. And I think it's a shame because I think he, his greatness should be paid more attention to today because he is a powerhouse. I mean, this is a guy who completely lost his voice. He lost the ability to sing right before blackouts and somehow <laughs> managed to, to find the guts to, to come back and, you know, relearn everything that he had learned and, you know, and and just improve upon what he was doing. So, yeah, I, I would hate to think that people only remember Klaus in memoriam. Cherish him now while he's still here. That's all I'm going to say, people. I really hope so. And that's one of them things where I find it's a shame, especially in the States where yeah, vocalist musicians in general from different countries, but especially vocalists. Oh, they've got that 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 weird accent to the voice, and it doesn't affect it at all. It just makes it unique to me. But I mean, the highs he hits and the lows, and just the way the melody carries you throughout this whole record, and 
all scorpions in general, honestly. Um, his voice is one of the most important instruments to the band, even though Ulrich does a good job on Dark Lady and uh, oh, Sun in My Hand. But, no, Sun in My Hand, thank you. I wanted to say Drifting Sun, but that's on Fly to the Rainbow. <laughs> also a good one. But yeah, I mean, you know, you had Francis uh, Buchholz on bass, who... Unfortunately, in the uh, <laughs> in the world of the Scorpions, he is no longer a viable entity, which that's uh, eh, uh, unfortunate. Yeah, we won't touch that with a 20 foot pole. And Rudy Lenners was the drummer on this. And, you know, I mean, I love Herman Rarabell. I think he's a, a great drummer. But, you know, Rudy holds his own on this. I love Herman Rarabell, but uh, Lenners has a, a certain groove that him and Francis and Uli are all together in on this record that is it's great and it's unique not that herman did a bad job i mean i love tokyo tapes it's my favorite live album but they yeah all i can think of is to call it as a groove but they really connect on this i really like the way that the rhythm section locked in on songs like longing for fire you know yes. uh I, I know that's a th that that's a very odd bass line to play against the guitar along with the drums because the the the, the drum the guitars are, are just playing straight chords and the bass is actually leading that song and the way rudy does not rudy lenders does not skip a beat with that and and i i just really appreciate the way that the rhythm section on that song locks in you know we didn't even go through all the songs yet i mean you know we, we talked about no. <laughs> dark lady which is a phenomenal opener. Uh, yeah, there's the title track in Trance, which is amazing. I, I don't, know, I don't know if you'd really call it a ballad or not. I don't like calling it, songs ballads anymore. I'm tired. Of <laughs> this is almost like, like borderline prog kind of. See, that was the other cool thing about Scorps. They always kind of did their own thing. Well, except for Eye to Eye, but we're not. Talking we don't about talk about Eye to Eye. <laughs> Uh, um, I mean, it's almost space rocky in a way. Like it, yeah. it, it, it's, it's almost. It, it's funny. Like at the time, UFO were bigger than the Scorpions, and you know, Michael has always accused Rudolph of ripping him off. Um, <laughs> I won't agree with Michael on that, but if you take a song like Space Child off of Phenomenon, uh, UFO's mm -hmm. uh, first album with Michael. And you take a song like Entrance off this one, you know, you can almost kind of play them back to back and see that there's like a feel there. But I mm -hmm. don't I don't think Rudolph, regardless of what I may think of him personally, I don't think he actually set out to rip off Michael, because even Uli said that Rudolph was a great songwriter before the Scorpions hit it big. So, you know, and, and I'm biased towards Uli, so I'm willing to agree with him. Yeah, me too. And, um, you know, they're brothers. So, yes, he probably picked up a little something from him. But um, number one, already an accomplished songwriter. And really, I think Entrance is the album where he really finds that signature Rud Rudolf Schenker sound and his way of playing the guitar and i think he kind of did it in tandem with playing off of what uli was doing i i really don't hear any michael in rudolph's playing ever so you're saying you think rudolph 
became a better guitarist and songwriter because of his collaboration with Uli. Yes. I agree with I, that. I, I think, well, Entrance to me is just the strongest one out of the three. I I, I would rate this album a 10 out of 10 because... I'm with oh, you on that. I'll pick, I'll pick on Uli a little bit. There, there, there's a couple missteps on the uh, two follow-ups. <laughs> Hellcat. Um... <laughs> the album cover of Virgin Killer alone is disturbing. <laughs> yeah. Which is funny because it's got some great tunes on it, like Pictured Life and uh, Catch but Train. anyway, yeah, Catcher Train, that's another one. But um, yeah, it's it feels like he he really gelled well with Francis and especially Uli and what they were doing, and then he developed his own sound over the years. But I feel like where it came out of is this collaboration that starts here, because. You can hear it begin here, and then by the time you get to Taken by Force, like um, on We'll, We'll Burn the Sky, his sound is fully formed, but it, you can tell where it came out of him. Him and Michael might have played together in, on In Search of the Peace of Mind and, uh, you know, Lonesome Crow, but there's nothing on that album that really points to what Rudolph was going to sound like later. This does, especially on songs like Robot Man. Yeah, but uh, you know we we've mentioned uh, you know top of the bill, life's like a river. Um, there's you know there's robot man, uh, evening wind, sun in my hands, longing for fire. Which uh, you know again, it's hard for me to pick a song that's my favorite. I mean, I just know that evening wind was a song that just really captured me and left a positive impression. I even love polar nights. I think it's one of the uh, Best instrumentals well, that they've ever released. Night Lights is on this. Polar Nights is the follow-up. Uh, God to that damn it, I'm an idiot. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, sorry. That one. <laughs> Night Lights is a, is, a, is a wonderful. I know the album, people, okay? It's been a long day. And we're doing this on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon. Okay? Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, no, I agree. This album is a total straight 10 out of 10. And probably won't the strongest that the scorpions uh first ever sounded on record and you know that's not taking anything away from lonesome crow because there's some gems on that or uh flight of the rainbow which is you know um, a, a song off that that i love and you can't get more star trek than uh they need a million i mean the way yeah. they just break <laughs> off into that middle thing i'm just like a picturing some green chick dancing around kirk i can't help it it's it's very spacey but i like it I wonder if they were enjoying some green stuff. But here's an interesting uh, question that I posed to you, Greg. Um, so, okay. you know, I, I've always considered the Scorpions to be the preeminent German hard rock heavy metal act. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, all due respect to bands like Accept and Creator and Destruction and Halloween. But people were referring to the Scorpions as Krautrock. And I've always thought that was interesting because, you know, mm -hmm. when when I hear of that, well, well first of all, it's a, it sounds like a pretty demeaning term, but I mean, this is what they were describing Kraftwerk as, and I yeah. was like, I was like, how how do you get any similarities between Scorpions and Kraftwerk with uh with the exception being that they're just they're both German? Like, I don't get it. Yeah, that has to be because they're German and people are just 
ignorant and looking for a quick definition because I've heard a few uh, kraut rock bands and they're all more like craft work, like uh, new wavy type stuff like that. Uh, yeah. That's I'm, where I go. The Scorps never went that direction. So I don't understand that. No, that's weird. I think it's just people trying to get um, credibility. Well, with a dumbass statement like that, I can tell you, you have none anyway. <laughs> no, I mean, the, the only thing I can even think of out of their whole canon that has a uh, even a rhythm kind of similar to something like that is maybe the rhythm line to suspend her love. But even that's stretching it a little bit. Possibly. And I realize that the, the question I just asked you is incredibly far fetched. But I just remember that I, I think I read that. In, in a magazine article once, and I was just like, I, I don't see it. I don't get it. And you could tell me as many times until you're blue in the face that that's the way it is. And I will always um, contradict you and say, no, it's not. <laughs> and that's my dog fine. agrees too. He's barking. <laughs> I'm the same way when it comes to people calling Aerosmith heavy metal. I, I'm sorry. I don't care what Karang said in 1976. They're good, but they're blues rock. Sorry. <laughs> I agree with that statement, and I love classic Aerosmith, but it is not metal. It, you know, uh, but you know, I, I think that at the time, anything that was loud and distorted got that terminology, which is which is funny because, like, you know, if you think about the kinds of amps that they were using back in the day, you know, for the most part, they were like Marshall Plexi one hundreds, which only had one channel. So it wasn't that they were heavily distorted. It's just the volume was cranked all the way up. Yep. So, you know, um, I think people should just really like learn their history and, 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 and just better understand the nuances. And, and, you know, and we're not trying to sound like elitist snobs when we say that, but it's just, there's, there's certain sounds associated with rock, hard rock, you know, heavy metal, and, you know, and we don't care about like subgenres or things like that, because, you know, in the end, good music is good music. But, you know, to label something like Aerosmith as heavy metal, it's disingenuous, like labeling yes. Scorpions kraut rock. Anyway, exactly. You're wrong. Wrong. Thank you, John McLaughlin. <laughs> um, but you did send me an article earlier about uh, something Uli said. And uh, as a guitar player, I found it very interesting. And, and I'll actually quote it. It's on ultimateguitar.com. Uh, it was a recent um, interview with Uli John Roth. He was basically asked during his visit to the Academy of Tone podcast, so a credit to them, Uli reflected on what the interview called his screaming guitar tone, admitting that he learned from the best since he witnessed Jimi Hendrix playing live. I envy Uli for that. Uh, Uli compared the guitar tone of the older generation with younger artists. Apart from Jimmy, he reflected on Jeff Beck, Eric Clapton, and Mick Taylor, who if no one knows who that is, he was the lead guitarist of the Rolling Stones before Ron Wood, calling them sound conscious. However, he then added, this is an art form that sadly has been almost completely lost. Nowadays, there are a lot of kids who have fantastic technique, and you could see a lot of them on YouTube shorts, and they're very musical, they could play, etc. But it's so rare that you hear someone who cares about tone and expression as they all tend to sound factory made. And I can't blame them because that's how they grew up. So 
as a guitar player, I'm not going to call myself a musician because I don't make my living playing music. But as a guitar player, I could agree with that statement. From when I first realized that I could play, my whole purpose was to find my own voice within my instruments, you know, to channel the right sound with the right guitar, the right strings, the right pickup and the right amp and be able to express how I feel or what I'm thinking through my playing. So it's like, if I write a guitar solo where it's like, I want the listener to hear joy or anger or whatever, I will express that however best I can through the tools that I have. And that is from an emotional standpoint. From a mechanical standpoint, it's very hard to completely lug around all of your equipment from your home to the venue and back, (laughs) knowing that at my age at 43 years old, I'm more prone to back issues now than I was when I was in my early 20s. That being said, I don't think it's necessary to have the full the full stack of, you know, the head and two cabinets to lug around with me anywhere. You know, now it's like, you know, if, if the room is big enough, you know, you bring your amp, you mic it up to the PA and boom, there you go. If the room is too small, then you can bring this. And this is not an advertisement for Horizon devices, but um, I'm very happy with this preamp that I could put on my pedal board and go direct from here to the PA, play. I think my dog is really tired of hearing about my Horizon Devices preamp. Anyway, <laughs> so, you know. Then Lou free stuff. <laughs> so, you know, uh, plug it directly into the PA and, you know, get the clean tone that you want through the, you know, through no channel and get the right amount of distortion or overdrive that you want from here. But in, at the end of the day, the difference, what I think separates me is, again, I'm not using guitar playing as a way to sound like everybody else. I'm doing me. So right. I agree with Uli that I feel like sometimes you have a lot of guitar players that do show up on YouTube and you're all great. But with the exception of a few of you, I can't tell the difference. <laughs> I'm sorry. I agree with Uli Roth. I have to as well. I mean, it, and it's very, very important, which is why just there's a lot of more modern bands and newer stuff where I just can't call it a favorite because it doesn't really resonate with me emotionally because it's very clean. It's very well played. They're great players, but there's no, there's no warmth to the tone really there it's not expressive enough like on on evening wind you you can feel that in your heart when it uh his guitar ascends with uh klaus's voice and even during the leading lead up to it and throughout the whole album you know it just it's expressive it's almost lyrical with the tones a lot of these guys had in the 70s buck dharma from blue oyster cults another real good one for, for comparison. Yeah. And, you know, I, I get a little tiffed when I hear uh, people knock certain guitar players for relying on the pentatonic scale. There is a, a YouTuber that I enjoy called Bradley Hall. I find him to be entertaining. Uh, but he was the one that publicized his distaste for Kirk Hammett 
as a guitarist for not utilizing his playing skill to its full capability and relying on the pentatonic scale. Now, regardless of how you personally feel about Kirk Hammett, you may love him, you may hate him, you may respect him, you, you may care less, but, you know, Kirk's been doing it for 40 years. I may not prefer his playing style, but I respect him for doing what he's doing. So I, I think it's... um I think it's very diminishing to not guitar players that don't play the same as you. At the same token, mm -hmm. to knock guitarists who rely on the pentatonic scale, I think it's a cheap shot because it's not if you play the pentatonic scale, it's how well you do what you do with the pentatonic scale. And Bug Dharma, you listen to those Blue Oyster Cult albums and you tell me that his playing doesn't make the hair on your arms rise. Yep. Every, everybody should listen to the live version of Veteran of the Psychic Wars. On Thank the you. Electra, extraterrestrial live album from 82. That is one of the best solos of all time. I agree with your statements. Uh, that being said, uh, bringing it back to the Scorpions, I feel like with Uli, they were truly coming into their own. Obviously, losing Uli didn't hurt them. I mean, it hurt us who won't hear Uli with the Scorpions anymore unless we listen to Entrance, Virgin Killer, and Taken by Force in Tokyo Tapes. Um, but I'm sure the Scorpions are not crying their way to the bank, and Uli doesn't seem to be hurting either because he's got a killer band that he goes out with. And, you know, I would him and Steve Hackett are two guitar players I would love to see in concert one day. And I hope that time comes and... You know, Uli, if you are watching this episode, please consider this an open invitation to come on Rat Side Review because Greg and I love you, man. <laughs> please do. That would be amazing. I would love to talk to Uli and Electric Sun. And I, I just love his playing in general. I, I stuck with him even after Scorpions. <laughs> and Very I know cool. you did too. Yeah. I did too. So we're going to wrap this up. Greg and I both agree. Entrance from the Scorpions. Uh, one of the many albums that time seems to have forgotten because it doesn't have Rocky Like a Hurricane on it. But in Greg, in my opinion, it's the best Scorpions album out there. So go and enjoy it. Yep, definitely. Especially if you're a Scorpions fan, but you haven't delved back yet. This is the perfect one to do it with. Excellent. Anything you want to plug, my friend? Just keep watching Screams from the Grave and Rats Out Review. I don't have anything else coming up. That's right. And don't forget, ratsidereview.com. You can link to all of our social media. Also, don't forget, severedangel.com. You can buy your copy of the album, which is out now. And just to let you know, by the time this episode gets released, there's an all-week Black Friday sale over on our merch, 40% off. Buy our stuff. Do you understand? And that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> Please, we need to eat. Tenemos dinero, por favor. <laughs> Anyways, thanks for watching Screens from the Grave. For Greg Noggle, this is Lou Maps. Demone. <laughs>
Severed Angel, the deluxe edition of the self-titled debut album, available now. Pick up your copy today over at SeveredAngel.com. Available on all streaming media platforms. Severed Angel, get ready to ride the dogs of war.